Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. the southernmost point of dawn to the lands of always winter and what is west of west and the shadows in the east this is casterly talk episode 58 and once again we are recording live here on youtube and i'm happy to have some people joining me live in chat got some questions pre-selected we got some phone calls as always and just just for today at least you have me it's i Kidnapsuck, your host. Uh, for those who may be uh, checking in uh, a little bit later on YouTube who haven't uh, followed me too much, I'm, I'm definitely from the uh, no, no, no more for the Star Wars world, but uh, have been covering Game of Thrones for places like Screen Junkies with Watching Thrones, Collider's uh, Thrones talk show back in the day, and even The Night is Dark with Tiffany Smith, Maude Garrett, and uh, Michelle Boyd, uh, and I've been uh, hosting this show, which used to be called Daily Thrones. God, I was just looking at old, old episodes, 20... 17, I believe it was, and now here uh, as Casterly Talk. Uh, so, happy to be talking with all of you. I uh, watch and take in Game of Thrones, books, shows, whatever, from, from the emotional standpoint first, and that leads uh, leads me down th- those paths of discussion. Uh, I appreciate it. Well, the reason I said this is as I do this show more and more on YouTube, you're, you're going to find people uh, that every once in a while I'll not have an exact fact. Every once in a while we'll uh, misspeak when you're doing a live show. Uh, and if you want to correct me in the comments, uh, that's great. That's great. Um, I'll have an opinion of you, but you can go do that if you one. So uh, we got some people in chat for those watching along live on YouTube or a little bit later on YouTube. Christy McGee is here. She's got some crazy uh, pigtails today in her uh, profile picture. I love that. She says, I love this music. Yeah, this music is, um, it was a, it's a generic purchase music. You know, you, you got to get licensing, uh, you know, take care of all that kind of stuff. And uh, you know, so I've always been a fan of it. 
You know, of all fake Game of Thrones uh, podcast music songs, that's one of the good ones. Uh, hey, on the show today, we're going to be talking about a couple mysterious women in Game of Thrones. I and mean, I think Game of Thrones is full of a lot of great mysterious characters. These are two of my favorite. Uh, we're going to be talking about Melisandre, and we're going to be talking about Quaithe. Just diving into them a little bit. Also have some, like I said, some questions, uh, some phone calls, some stuff about casting, which I, I am never good about predicting casting um but i i have an answer at least for one of the questions that is coming so uh before we uh get into uh what we're going to talk about today this was prompted by a phone call and uh, i love our phone calls those those uh, voice messages phone calls whatever i'm old technology is what it is um come to us from anchor this podcast is as a lot of you know found wherever podcasts are podcasted but it's housed on anchor and if you go to the anchor app you can find a link to leave a message to this show. I love playing them in the show, and now especially live here on uh, YouTube. So we will be uh, listening to this call from a regular com con contributor, uh, the wonderful Eric Monroe, with this phone call that prompted some thoughts in my brain. Hey, Cannon Casually Talk. So when I did my last Game of Thrones rewatch, one thing that really struck me was even though Melisandre was wrong, she was also kind of right about some things. In the season two finale, she prophesizes to Stannis three betrayals. She says you will betray the men serving you. He betrayed Ser Davos when he sent him back to the wall under a false pretense because of what he was going to do to Shireen, which leads to you will betray your family. And finally, you will betray everything you once held dear and the everything you once held dear part i really feel it was himself he lost himself along the way i've said that before so i find it fascinating that even though she may have been wrong about him being the one she was right about a lot of things that ended up happening so what do you think about melisandre being wrong but also being right oh melisandre me and eric monroe love stannis baratheon it's a, it's an affliction we have and stannis's journey uh, is intriguing to us, which I, I always say there's great lessons to be had in the rise, uh, kind of rise of Stannis, and definitely the fall of Stannis. Melisandre is the reason for a lot of it, is behind a lot of it, is definitely the inspiration of uh, a lot of what goes on with Stannis Baratheon. But let's focus in on Melisandre's story, her journey, uh, and her big mistakes. I think, again, I approached it, and this is mostly show only, in the books, Melisandre is equally as fascinating, if not more. Uh, hey, she pulls a couple more maneuvers, man. She burns a little bit more uh, smoke baby demons to go get the job done. Uh, but this is focused here, at least in this one, on show only. Uh, and Mel uh, and her, of course, relationship with Stannis Baratheon. Um, I I always say this. I, I think I think her story, as the way it plays out, and spoilers for those who, on the off chance, you haven't watched season eight, uh, I think her the way her story plays out is one of the more complete stories, one of the most satisfying stories for me, though there's some big questions uh, to be had uh, with Melisandre. I believe the big question for me about Melisandre is, is she all in on Stannis Baratheon, or was that some kind of stepping stone to get to where she needs to be? I, I keep thinking about this, and I love that there isn't necessarily, again, that... Uh, that the the answers aren't all there, and I love and George R. R. Martin. Sometimes the answers are right under the the, uh, the the pages in between the lines, and other times you have to dig, and other times, especially with the show, 
you don't get all the answers that you want. And uh, as we do this live, uh, Kristen McGee adds, uh, and her fantastic wardrobe, which gets better and better as the season goes on. That's one thing just on the surface with Melisandre. You know, she's got a theme, red, some red robes, easy on, easy off robes, and they just get... I think they get better. I think I think this this photo I got here. Uh, I'm playing a little bit by the time by the time she gets to the wall, man. She's got some detail. She's not just wearing what she was wearing like season two. Just all eh, right. Let me throw on a red slip and a red riding hood. No, she's got some she's got some designs going on. Uh, and also, I we we can't go any further without discussing Chris Van Houten, who just uh, I I think is uh, is remarkable, perfectly casted. Uh, I she's one. I, I follow her on a lot of social media. or see her in other things. You, you as a performer, don't want to be completely locked into a character, but she just seems she's Melisandre to me. Like I, I am intrigued, but I don't trust her. Uh, and she's very talented. She's a singer as well. Uh, she's um, married to Guy Pierce. We could go down that Chris uh, uh, Van Houten uh, discussion on another time. Um, I, I, I start back at the beginning with Melisandre, and just I believe in my heart that she is it all in on Stannis, and that's not just important for Stannis because that gives him the inspiration. This, this. And I'm fascinated with the stuff we don't get with Stannis, not to completely veer this to a Stannis Baratheon discussion, though I'm sure Eric Monroe would appreciate that uh, just as uh, as much as I would. Um, I think I think Melisandre's not just there to serve Stannis or John, Arya, or other people in the story. She's got a lot of responsibilities in other people's story, but I'm trying to focus, and I've been focusing a lot uh, lately on Melisandre's journey as her own. Because again, I think it's really satisfying in the end. And I, in order for that to be to begin, I really believe she's all in on Stannis Baratheon. I believe she's found a way. I think you know Thoros was sent over to convert Robert Baratheon. Uh, maybe there is something going on that um, you know back back at Kinvara and the, and the home team when they're handing out the assignments. You know, all right, uh, Melisandre, yeah, you're gonna head on out to uh, Westeros. Thoros, he's drunk. We can't find him. Maybe it was the wrong Baratheon. Again, we um, we don't know 100% of that. And Eric A., Eric Monroe is live in chat, and he points out, yeah, talking more about the show and the book, she she might be, uh, there's a little, lot more there, which 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 I love to have. Dealing with the show only, I think, because I think as producers and writers and these people, directors putting the show together, I think when you start planning this out, I think for it to work, I think it works best on the show, she is all in on, on, on Stannis Baratheon. And she's confident. She's she's cocky. She's sure of herself. And she should be. She's got skills. Maester Creston, old CO Bibble himself from uh, the Star Wars prequels, Oliver Ford Davies, challenges her right away. And we have already a lot of respect built up for, for the Maesters by the time season two has come around, right? Maester Lewin, we loved him. How stark. We, we wept when he was gone. We... we Grand Maester Pycelle, we might not like, and he's pulling his own little tricks, but we, we understand he's got some authority, he's got some skills. We're not fully aware of what uh, the, the Citadel's all about, maybe going into season two on the show. But here comes Maester Cresson, and he's giving you the, well, with Davos, giving you the Stannis, come on, don't do this, giving you that kind of context, and Melisandre, boom, takes him out. What an opening Sequence. What opening episode for Melisandre? The fire, the flame, some of that great stuff. And then just the downing of the poison like it's wine, like it ain't no thing but a chicken wing. Down goes the maester. And I. that's why I think she starts off there with a purpose. They're believing it. And that leads her 
you know, look what she does with the shadow baby uh, demon monster uh, that we all are uh, both repulsed and intrigued by. We're like Davos. Yeah, but we can't look away. Um, she's, she's, she's dropping people, man. She's making magic happen, literally. You know? And she's just firing the flames of passion in Stannis. But by the way, you know, every time I'm around a painted table replica, and they got those sometimes, they go around the displays at, at Comic Cons and whatnot. I, I can't help but go to the end of that table and just be like, "Good job, Stannis." Um, anyways, um, I I think though, as 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 the show goes on, and 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 more and more start things start happening, and we start to learn more of her, uh, uh, the stuff with Stannis is, you know. Uh, a wife in the bathtub, you know, where, where Melisandre admits, yeah, some of this is smoke and mirrors. As she starts to lose, lose her faith, um, I don't like to call them mistakes as much as just like she's starting to figure out maybe I did make the biggest mistake of all. Maybe this is something I, I just was wrong on. Stannis Baratheon, I was wrong on. And then she meets Jon Snow, and it's clear. I, I, the big question, this is, again, might play out differently in the books. And in a way, I, I hope a lot of things play out differently in the books so that we can finally untangle them a little bit. I think the books um, I, I, I think the books are always going to inform the show and inform us viewers, but I'd like to see them untangled a little bit. And not that I want George to go, you know, start rewriting or redirecting a lot of the story. I want him to stick with what he's got. But um, the the idea for Melisandre on the show to to start to be like, uh oh, I have made mistakes. What is my what is my purpose? What what am I doing? What is my power? Um, and it's all unraveling because Jon Snow is potentially potentially what she thinks he is. And I, I do believe she she is she's pretty all in on Jon as Azora High, Prince of Promise again, slightly uh, turned around on the show, and I think. I'd love to, you know, the, the moments with her and Daenerys Targaryen are spectacular. Um, and I think she should be rightfully, um, I think she should be rightly, rightfully wary on behalf of Jon for Danny and all that kind of stuff. But I, I think that comes a little bit later. I, I think is with Jon. And yeah, Eric's saying this. Yeah, you can see the second Stannis is told half his army is deserted. You can see her reaction. She knows it's over for him and, and, Stan, and, and, and she knows it's over for her. She's going to skedaddle because uh, skedaddling's a good thing to do. But along the way, um, she is right. She is right about Arya. Uh, Arya Stark, um, she's in her ear, quite literally. It's one of the more intriguing things, right? The, the whispers, all the eyes she's going to shut. So this path of Melisandre, the mistakes of Melisandre leading to her completely losing confidence, and even the revitalization of Jon Snow doesn't seem to fully, it seems to bring her back in. Now she's a little more, she's a free agent. She's a little more loose out there. Just kind of her allegiances to me uh, are more, more to the bigger picture, which now fuels into what I love, um, what I love about the character of Melisandre and what I love about Thoros and Kinvar and all the red priests and priestesses and, and the stuff that Lon Harris and I were even talking about live last week on the episode and, and in previous episodes. This idea that the, the the red faith relor the 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 religion of uh, of light there um i believe they're the ones who are still right i i i and i know that's not an answer we'd necessarily get on the show and i i, I don't think you could be bogged down in that but i'm fascinated and melisandre's journey kind of leads me all to that she's got them powers man and when she shows back up what a great return lighten um uh, the, the uh, dothraki blades and sending them off yeah to their doom 
but pretty cool along the way. She's there to save the day. It's her purpose. She's there to remind Arya everything and uh, there to send John on her way. So I think all of that fuels in, and it has to start from this very confident place of all in on Stannis Baratheon, and then it slowly, slowly, slowly unravels. And I think along the way, I think if she had, if, if the confidence had it, hadn't started to crack, then I think she would have maybe made different calls or would have been more sure of herself, uh, and that's what's intriguing. But the point, all this that I'm getting to is, is number one, the red faith might be the one that's right. I'm not here to throw in uh, on, on uh, <laughs> not here to, to throw in on, on, on religions and pick a side in Game of Thrones. But as it plays out on the show, as the theme, it is this, it's a little bit of a redemption story. She's made all these mistakes. She's done horrible things. She doesn't fight a lot of it either. When Davos confronts John with what the truth is of, of what Melisandre's done, I, I like that Melisandre, you know, isn't going to be but, 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 but. She knows what she did. She knows what she did, and she knows she's got to go make it right. So it's a story of redemption. It's a story of where Stannis's is obsession with something that might rightfully be yours, something that is the right path, and how obsession with that can cause you to lose yourself. I think that is the story of Stannis, which is why I like the character even beyond just me liking him as just a, hey, he's a grump. Um, I, I really do believe the greater purpose of Melisandre in the show, in the story, when you follow the emotional, emotional things, is is to, to really show uh, what happens when you lose your confidence, when you lose your own way, and how do you get it back, and how do you pay for your own sense? It's its own kind of redemption, and it, and it plays out so well. And her, her final moments are, are are chilling in a wonderful way. And chilling scenes, Eric Monroe brings up uh, another thing of her, the you-know-nothing Jon Snow is another chilling scene. Yeah, that's at the wall. John, I don't think, has been going around telling a ton of people. You know what Egret used to say to me? He was really cute. So for Melisandre to know that, again, we know she has powers. She knows she had powers. Um, and it's more and more, intri- more and more intriguing as she loses them and fights to get them back. The Melisandre taken off the off the necklace, which, yeah, you know, I know, we know. It's, it's been off before. Um, but taking it, I, I think when you take a bath, you're allowed to take off your sorcery jewelry. I don't know. That's just me. But uh, to, to uh, you know, when she takes it off and reveals actually who she is or how old she is, I am very much um, fascinated by the story we have yet to get to Melisandre. I think her mistakes lead to a lot of resolutions, and I want to get to know more. Some of my favorite uh, quotes uh, about or from her, uh, between her and Davos, when Davos asks her uh, at one point, uh, this isn't a clash of kings, uh, are you good or evil, my lady? And, and they do translate this to the show, I believe. Uh, but when she says back, oh, good. I am a knight of sorts myself, sweet sir. A champion of light and life. Point of view is very important in Game of Thrones. Uh, point of view is uh, point of view is important. You know, when you're putting together a villain, you always hear, a villain, a good villain's got to believe he's a hero or she's a, vill- a hero in her own story. Um, those are just simple writing tactics. But I really think... Uh, and dialogue isn't facts, but I really do, I do think Mel- Melisandre believes she is out there 
trying to win the day, and that's where it all ends up. Kristen McGee says, uh, magic bath rules. That's true. Um, uh, Dava's watching her die, and what she really looked like was very poetic, says Eric Monroe. And what a great moment for Davos. Davos and Melisandre's relationship um, has been rocky. It's at best, right? I do love though some of the stuff with Melisandre where, you know, she's all she's all ready to get rid of Davos Seaworth, and she saves him a few times back in the day. Where even Stannis has to point out, you see, you see Davos, that red woman you hate so much, eh, she's keeping you alive. I think that is, uh, I think that is part of uh, uh, Mel uh, again. Not necessarily good in in the big picture, some things she's done, but in her heart, Mel's going to do and use who she feels is right to further her goals. So um, that is some of my thoughts on Melisandre as prompted by Eric Monroe. I love your guys' questions. I love getting to them. And uh, we've got some coming up here in a second. But first, uh, I wanted to, in, in looking up a little bit about Melisandre, just kind of go re- reliving some of the moments. I was looking ahead to... Uh, the books, and and I want to keep. Uh, we want to we want to make sure we're discussing both the books, shows, maps, coloring books, whatever. This is not just a look back at HBO's Game of Thrones. This is a look ahead of what's to come. And Winds of Winter. At some point, I have faith. We all have faith. We must keep faith. Uh, Winds of Winter, A Dream of Spring. They're going to come out. George is going to get it done. I've just decided to commit to that feeling. Uh, one of the answers I do want in a book series that is just full of so many questions. You, the reason we're kind of discussing Melisandre's show only, if we were to go into the books, um, I don't have the time to research it right now, and I don't have the time to discuss it with you all. We don't have six hours to sit down. But one of the characters I want to know more of, and I love the purpose of her in the show, even though it is much more short, and that is Quaith. Quaith from a shy. The masked wearing woman, the intriguing masked uh, woman who uh, runs into uh, Danny Jorah and the team over in season two in uh, uh, down there in uh, Carth, the greatest city that ever was and uh, wherever will be. Uh, it's the Bret Hart of cities. Um, she uh, has some uh, great interactions with Jorah Bormont, some very important interactions. And... The thing about Quaith, and I was one of those folks. You can go find, you can go find video for sure here on Casually Talk and other places where I was. I would put good money down that Quaith was going to come back in season eight. I think I all the articles, and you can go find. I was reading some stuff on uh, Ringer. Uh, they have great Game of Thrones coverage. Um, and by the way, I always say, you know, this isn't like Star Star Wars. They got a little, you know. Come to me for some answers. I love going to a bunch of different places. History of Westeros, Alt Shift X. I still do go to from time to time. Uh, Ringers, like I said, got great coverage. Go seek all this all out. Take in all the theories. Take in everything about these, uh, and come back here. And we'll hang out and have fun talking about all of it there. But you could have. I was absolutely convinced Quaith was coming back and had something to do with Jorah's healing. I like it being tied to Samuel Tarly. I'm fine with that. Did we? Um, did we get, uh, did we get, uh, 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 should we have gotten more Quaith in season eight? No, I don't necessarily think so. Not for the show. The books, though, Quaith is um, a spectacular character and very much tied in to 
Daenerys Targaryen. She has a lot to do with Daenerys Targaryen. Uses glass candles to communicate with her from afar, even after the events of Karth. Uh, we have uh, her, I believe, in my in my heart, I believe, connected to Marwyn the Mage. Marwyn, uh, not a not a character that featured. Uh, I thought Jim Broadbent was going to be Marwyn, Mister Marwyn. Uh, not so much. Uh, some fascinating stuff there with Marwyn. Marwyn uh, traveled um, from the Citadel, from Old Town, traveled uh, far, far east, connected to Mary Maz Duel. Uh, there's a lot of little references along the way. I believe Quaith is connected to him in some way. The glass candles and uh, some of the big, most the biggest, most important prophecies given to Danny. And we're only, you know, five books in only. Thanks, George. Um, come from Quaith. And a lot of them are, again, season two. Season two, this is why I say when we're just talking about season two, or talk, just talking about the show, season two definitely became one of my more favorite seasons because I had a little bit of letdown coming out of the great season one, coming out of being, just being tossed into this world. Season two comes along, and oh, it's different, and new characters. And I, have to, I mean, I like that Melisandre. I like that Stannis. we got to figure it out. Go back to season two. If you're doing re, your rewatches, Focus on season two. Focus on the things, the predictions, uh, the conversations, uh, not just the cool moments between like Arya and Tywin, but what they mean. And Piet Pri, the House of the Undying, and all those visions, I really think just add weight to that season being very underrated and one of the most important ones. Quaith is there. So because she's so important in the books, um, and, and she gives the prophecy uh, to um, to Danny that is uh, very important, um, she says to Dandy, to go north, you must journey south. To reach the west, you must go east. To go forward, you must go back. And to touch the light, you must pass, path, pass, not path, pass beneath the shadow. I absolutely believe that she is telling Danny very early on. She number one said, "Don't trust anybody." And 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 when you're reading these things, these prophecies, you could have a lot of fun with them. But you're in the moment, especially on the show. You're in the moment. What do they mean? Danny's dragons are missing. Quite has given George some information on that show, uh, especially. But in the books, you know, it's like, all right, you're focused on the the mission at hand. Danny's dragons are gone. But that's that's just. I think the greatest story is Danny is trying. Danny the dragon is missing, and we're trying to get Danny the young girl to become the dragon that she is already being and supposed to be and will be. I think a lot of what Quaith, it's, it's pretty much on the surface, I think a lot of the, the prophecies and theories uh, around Quaith, what she's saying to Danny, just like, and again, this is where I think it will, it, it, the book's still still heading down this path. George could do some changing, but I think it, it's still important to head down this path of Quaith basically saying, you got to burn things down. Don't trust anyone around you. Don't trust your advisors. It's the 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 great uh, sequence there of um, of her just running down a list. It is just a list of a lot of book heavy uh, uh, characters. Uh, you know, the Mummer's Dragon, all those kind of things. We won't go if you haven't read the books. And I know there's some people in chat who haven't read the books. Um, it, it's basically a, a, la- a laundry list of problems coming for Danny. So that's why Quaith in the books is really uh, more important and appears to be more important. And she, um, she she's just really tied into Danny. And I, and I was thinking here, I love the idea. And, and Alt-Shift-X, I, I know Alt-Shift-X didn't, uh, didn't join maybe season eight as much as I did or other people. That, that's fine. But uh, the, the research that goes into those videos are so great. Go watch the one on Quaith and go watch the one on the theories. And this really doesn't factor into 
I don't think anything that we need to know as readers or, or definitely show watchers. I really do believe within a, yeah, I don't know, 60, 70% that, that Quaith is a Shira Seastar who is, uh, w- would make Quaith well over 100 years old. And hey, look, with Melisandre being around a bit, and that kind of tracks in the books as well. She talks about Melisandre books. In the books, we know she's been practicing her magic for some time. They, they, I'm paraphrasing, but it's kind of explained there. Um, uh, Quaith, the Shira Seastar, in short, is tied to Blood Raven, uh, the three eyed raven, the three eyed crow in the show. Uh, Blood Raven's lover, and there's a lot with her mother who practiced dark arts, and, and it's just an interesting. And again, those things could be absolutely nothing. And the problem is, we can't separate. That's when you, that's when I say you can't separate the book from the show sometimes. Quaith pops up, and I'm like everyone looking, in, I'm looking and sees it, and you know, season two, Quaith pops up. I'll bring her up here again on live on YouTube. I mean, look at that. That mask, and you know, which is the same symbol that you know, Melisandre has around her, her neck. Um, the intrigue, the, the pretty eyes, man. I'm, I'm like Jorah. I'm pulled in. Like, what is going on here? I need to know more. So when you start doing the research on her, and you, and you figure out uh, her bigger place in the story, it's naturally. I think it's natural to think and want more. Um, uh, you want more uh, of her there, um, but uh, the share sea star stuff doesn't necessarily have to matter. Could be completely wrong. But it's intriguing. Look it up. Uh, it's kind of like when um, Force Awakens, when Starkiller Base popped up, I was one of the ones very early on who was like, oh, I, I think that's Ilum, the planet of Ilum from Clone Wars and, and very important to the Jedi. And then it, it took a few years, but it was finally proven. So that's right. Quaith is the Starkiller Base of Game of Thrones. Sarah Grizzly live in uh, chat, says, uh, chat says, I always wondered if uh, Quaith would pop back up with Arya. And Bravos, yeah, that was a good spot, uh, good thought for her to be there show the purpose of the show. And we'll come back to, we'll tie it all together back to what I, why I brought up uh, Quaith. Um, the, the show moment with Quaith and I'll bring the picture up again, live in chat. I only pulled a couple elements today. Uh, she early on is, is, is pretty forward with George. She knows what's going on. She knows who he is too. Just says it. Um, he can't hide there. So when he goes back, the dragons are missing. Everything's going on. Um, or if go, Eric Monroe, help me. The dragon's been missing by this point. Gosh, it's been a while since I watched season two. We got to go back. We got to go back and catch up. Uh, she, uh, in, in this moment, what's interesting is she is she's putting uh, painting on a naked man. You could see some man bum bum there. Uh, she's painting on some pr- protective uh, uh, symbols, spells, whatever you want to call it. She's painting on them there because he's got a sail past old Valeria and this is season two this is season two she says plainly to Sajora Mormont all who travel close to the doom must have protection what happens of course later on season five Jorah Tyrion sail right through the doom man beautiful look at old Valeria and next thing you know you got the grayscale if we'd only known, if we'd only known, if Jorah had paid attention. But again, he is so focused on what is at hand. Daenerys Targaryen, her dragons, what the hell is going on in Karth? Uh, and he is suited up. Uh, that's right, he's just got the armor on, man. So the dragons, I do believe, if memory serves, already missing by that point. Things are already weird. Um, but to, to Quay's purpose in the show clearly smaller, and I think it is tied to Jorah. If you rewatch this scene, she's giving him a warning, which she doesn't barely pay attention to, understandably. 
he she challenges Jorah. You love her. Ian Glenn plays it so well. He knows that. She already kind of put that in his mind, but he can't deny that. But he knows what he did. He knows what he did. Before she gives Jorah any answers, Quaith has got to ask him the tough questions. Will you betray her again? Never, says Jorah Mormont. And that's true. Not even just from a certain point of view. He's already done the betrayal. He's kept that from Danny. That's what costs him. The betrayal definitely cost him. And then keeping it secret from Danny and Barristan Zomi definitely cost Jorah. So Quaith is there in the show. They use her to serve a big purpose for Jorah Mormont. And he's got to face his truth both ways. And in that scene, Jorah's not quite ready. But it's a bit of a uh, thesis statement, a topic sentence for the essay that is yet to build, yet to flow out for Jorah. He's, he's got to face the truth going forward. Um, that he does love her, and he will never betray her again. So he knows that. So everything he tells Danny going forward is 100% true. But he's got to face the past. He's not ready for that, of what he did. I think it's important. And yet, Ranger Donald in chat uh, points out where uh, he says, uh, Ranger, Ranger Donald, Donald Lung says, when you think some scenes mean nothing, they pay off season later, sometimes in small but important ways. Yeah. So that's why, to me, Quaith is important in the show. And it's a small little sliver. And that can lead to some disappointment if you're book heavy or you get to be book heavy, um, like me and a lot of people did after season one. Leads to a little disappointment. I was a little disappointed that by season seven or eight, you know, quite didn't come back. It wasn't part of Jorah's healing. It wasn't some big uh, theory confirmed. But again, the show's got to pare everything down and go to the emotional cores. Quaith was more there for Jorah's heart and purpose than other things, uh, particularly with Daenerys Targaryen. But that's not the case in the books. And I really, as we look to Winds of Winter and we start to look toward Winds of Winter a lot more here on Casterly Talk... I'm really hoping we get at least some answers. I don't want these dangling participles of characters, George. Come back. Give us an answer. Give us a little something. I know we're not going to go to a shy. We're not expecting to really spend too much time in a shy, but I'd love to see a little bit more of this there from Quaith. What do you guys want from Winds of Winter? I want to know. Let me know. Let us know going forward here on Casterly Talk. If you are getting prepped and ready for Winds of Winter, what are some of the characters in the past? What are some of the dangling plots that are book only or book heavier, heavier in the books? You know what I mean? Let us know here. A couple questions. I want to get to um, questions here from my Discord server. You can support me on Patreon, patreon.com slash That's not just for Casterly Talk. That is for the Napsock Files. That is for the upcoming Box Score Heroes podcast feed. If you're a baseball fan, find that. And uh, any writing, any other material, stuff on Twitch, it's all there. Patreon.com slash KaiNapsock. And you get access to my Discord server. We've got a couple questions there. I didn't, there was a couple questions for last week's show. Uh, Sarah Risley sent a great one for Lon Harris. And we, the conversation went a direction I, I didn't know it was going to go. So uh, I didn't get to that one there. Um, and Ranger Donald had a great question for Lon and I about uh, favorite and least favorite uh, books in the series so far. Uh, which character or storyline in the book uh, only did you uh, wish made it into the show? So we might address those ones a little bit later. I also got a couple calls 
on Anchor from uh, Ashton. Ashton, if you're out there, you got a great call in um, that I am waiting for the right time and the right panel to answer. So uh, that's uh, what happens there, too. But going back to uh, Discord here, uh, where I got some uh, good questions from uh, Kristen McGee. Simple question. I love this one. Which house or kingdom would be where you'd like to be quarantined? You all know, oh, man, I have the wrong hat on today. I just have a plain black hat for those watching live. I, I have my night's watch. Let me get it here. Well, hold on, hold on. All right, yeah, there you go. That is my, uh, that is my uh, night's watch hat. A little dirty, a little dusty. Um, you know I love the night's watch. You all know I love the night's watch. I think that's where I'd be. It just seems. I don't know if... You know, when the shivers hit Westeros back in about 5960 uh, AC, I don't think there there was no place you could hide. Um, I still might go there. But I'll tell you what, if I, it's very cold. I, I, Christy McGee says in live chat, um, uh, it, it's very cold, obviously. But the spirit of if I have to be quarantined, if I have to be quarantined, I might might go to Dorn. And I don't like hot weather. Might go to Dorn. Sarah Risley has a great no not Bear Island. Yeah, Bear Island's a great choice. Bear Island's a really good choice. I, I might head there. That's a really in fact you're you'd be locked away. But I think I'm playing like now. I, I'm very fortunate to be ooh, Ranger Donald live in chat says High Garden. See I'm thinking of a quarantine lockdown. You, you, like I am, I'm very fortunate to be in this house I have right, renting right now with a backyard and a garage with a gym. And I got, I got some comforts. I got some creature comforts. If I could be locked away in a quarantine. Ooh, High Garden might be. Oh man, I think I'm going High Garden. Dorn's too hot for me. I, I can't do the heat. Beautiful people down there. Great culture, and they're already kind of locked off anyway. So they kind of self. Oh, but they're self-sustained. Oh no, Christy, I thought this was going to be a simple question. Tamor, live in chat, she uses Dragonstone. I think I might go High Garden. Just for the climate. A better compromise. Out there on the reach. Sorry, Christy. She's apologizing. Uh, we got uh, Definitely Not Trey uh, asking this question here. Is it reasonable to expect a smaller story scope with House of the Dragon? Less world-spanning than A Song of Ice and Fire, a Game of Thrones, and more of a focus on character development. Thanks. Yeah, so this is the great question here. Not keeping completely update uh, updated on any of the House of the uh, Dragon news. Um, I think we're here, you know, again, at this point, I, I've heard, you know, heard whispers and rumors. I ah, it's a da the Dance of Dragons. It's a Targaryen. Civil War, all those kind of things. It's it's based on fire and blood is kind of, to me, the only thing we do know, and that stretches far and wide. Just book one, but 150 years. We haven't got the book two. Maybe they're basing it somewhere in there. Uh, ben Wellington in chat says, hey, thanks for the super chat, Ben. Uh, he says, Dragonstone. Always just myself on an ancient island. In his profile picture, Ben's got a Minnesota Twins hat on. That's kind of like, uh, you know, you're up there. It's almost like the wall. But Dragonstone, he and Tamor choose Dragonstone. I think if, if Dragonstone, going back to that question, it, it, the reason I choose High Garden is they've got food, they got supplies. They might be tied a little bit into some of the other houses in the other lands there, the kingdoms, where Dorne is self sufficient. At least they think of themselves as that. If Dragonstone, or even Storm's End, it doesn't matter, any cast, Bear Island, if it's fully stocked 
in a, in a shivers lockdown quarantine situation, that's where I'd want to be. Dragonstone, though, you know, we, we only see a tiny bit of it, really. It, it's, it's drafty. My garden might be a little more cozy. I'm not seeing, I don't, when I'm in Vegas, I don't go hang out by the pool. So that's why I don't think I'd go to Dorn. You know, we'll see. Um, going back to Trey's question there, uh, House of the Dragon. I, here's the thing about House of the Dragon. I, I love Trey's question here and what this might mean. This idea that HBO's just had Game of Thrones, which is giant. And it, you have to take the whole world. Westeros, Essos, a lot of stuff. Has to be squeezed into those eight seasons, and 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 for my money, they did a really damn good job. They, was it perfect? No. Could it have been perfect ever? No. With House of the Dragon, if they're based on this book, and uh, they they already got to slice it down, they already got to focus. Do they want to focus on the 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 picture of Westeros at that time? If it's a Targaryen civil war, do you just want to focus on that's pretty big? You got a lot of dragons fighting, and we talked about that recently on Castle Talk. Dragon on dragon action, giggity. That's what I think we want. That's what I think the people want. And you know, in the end of the day, I'll take it. I'm, I, you know, I would have intrigued by the pilot. We'll never get very excited about House of the Dragon. Intrigued by the uh, the, the the spinoff prequel and the pilot that did not go because it seemed. Um, and Eric Marone says, chat echoes my thoughts, Blood Moon isn't going. Yeah, it seemed it might be, gives a chance. It was going to be a lot about the state of Westeros at the time, obviously, but chance to go a little, a little smaller. I think House of the Dragon will potentially be a little smaller. I don't know. You won't have to deal with some mysterious dragon queen over in Essos. You won't necessarily have to deal with the threat coming down north of the wall. If it's after Aegon's conquest, the politics of the land aren't certainly aren't settled, but there's a little less intrigue going on. We have a ruler. No one's trying to usurp that throne. There's problems. There's little fires springing up, but really the fires are with the dragons. And if you can say that focusing on a Targaryen civil war is smaller in scale, smaller in dragon scales, pun not intended, um, then I think that might be my answer. Uh, that that's what they will have to do, and that you won't you won't get as much of the history in Game of Thrones. Going back to even the beginning, old Nan telling the stories. Um, you you the history is just uploaded into your brain early on in that show. You kind of got to figure it out. You got to know it uh, if you're going to get um, the deeper enjoyment of the show. You can just watch it on the surface. Absolutely. Um. Regarding House of the Dragon, some live questions coming in. Uh, Donald Long says, I hope it's HBO quality and not HBO Max quality. Ooh, sick burn, even though, um, even though uh, now we don't know how the shows uh, on that will look yet. Yeah, so, and, and that's kind of backed up a little bit by Ben Wellington. What fascinates me would be a new group of characters just dealing with a different period. And right, Donald, that's sweet HBO quality. That's going to be, I think, the biggest challenge. This is going to be the biggest challenge for any Game of Thrones prequel that was going to be in development and uh, leaked out, or, or not leaked out, but uh, sent out into the world. HBO's Game of Thrones set the bar. It took the bar and tossed it so high up in the air, created new standards for I don't, I'm not just TV, for, for movies, obviously. Look at the stuff we got by season three, four, Watchers on the Wall, 
Hard Home Season 5, the Season 6, just the whole season is beautiful, and the battles get bigger and bigger and and and, and I think better in some cases. But I still think the Battle of Blackwater Bay is my favorite battle uh, on TV because of uh, what they had to do. They couldn't rely on some of the bigger things. Uh, that that happens a lot. But, I, I mean, I'm all in on Long Night. That's me. Different Different discussion. But, yeah, House of the Dragons got to live up to that, especially if you're putting dragons in. Especially. And the quality of the shows, it's talk, Star Wars again, The Mandalorian, which I do love. I just completed a rewatch of Mandalorian, though I do watch every episode two, three, sometimes four times when I'm breaking down uh, episodes on Force Center. I, and back in the day in the old Collider show, but um, I just did the first, let me sit down and rewatch this season. And I love a lot of it. I love The Mandalorian. I love the characters, man. I'm all in on it. All in seems to be my phrase of the day, by the way. Thanks, Melisandre. Um, but despite the great tech technology in use there with the volume, the set they use, the VR set, and I think it's going to get better. I think season two, they, it did not have the budget, and a lot of it doesn't look great for me. Uh, a lot of it looks like what they shot it on. And I think it, House of the Dragon cannot be that. No, We don't know too much how HBO Max is going to play out. We this we know, but or this we know we don't know. I uh, I agree with you guys. The standard has to be has to be really high. If it slips at all, it's a little Mandalorian's different. It's the first live action Star Wars TV show. We are not going to hold it up to the standards of any of the movies, any of them. It's the first out of the gate. Now Kenobi, Cassian Andor, any series, any spinoff from the Mandalorian. I do believe there'll be a spinoff of the Mandalorian. You're going to hold up to that standard of what came before. So House of the Dragon has that. Yeah, and Sarah Risley live in chat says, Battle of the Bastards might be the best battle put in a screen. That's what she says. Um, so Eddie Haskell's here says that VR set is nuts. Yeah, and, and to be clear, the, the Mandalorian VR set, they call it the volume, is bonkers. It's it's crazy. You know, We're going to see the behind-the-scenes stuff. I, I'm really supportive of, of the, you know, it, it, as much as I love the Star Wars prequels, if some of the some of them were shot on that kind of scenario, like even the Hobbit films were, you know, um, uh, 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 there there's just some of the actors had issues, you know, acting opposite green screens and blue screens and tennis balls and all that kind of stuff. If you can uh, take a lot of that out, I, I really think Mandalorian moved the ball forward. It just uh, a little bit more money would need to go into it, and I think it it will. So. Um, yeah, back to that House of the Dragon. House of the Dragon. High standards. All right, final question of the day here. Oh, man, I didn't think I was going to go this long today. Thank you all for sticking if you're watching live here. This final question comes from our friend Tamor, who is in chat. Here we go, Tamor. You're up. Hey, Ken and Caster Talk, folks. This is Tamor from the Shadows of the East. Hope you're all safe and doing well. I started my rewatch recently, and after watching... Season 1, Episode 10, Fire and Blood, I started reading the book itself and have completely immersed myself into it. I enjoyed reading about Aegon the First's conquest so much that I ended up reading it twice. I'm curious to know what some of your actors slash actress selections would be for Visinia, Aegon, and Rhaenys in House of the Dragon. If that question has already been answered in a previous episode, which actors slash actresses, aside from the ones who won't return, would you like to see from Game of Thrones portray any of the characters in House of the Dragons? I don't have the words to express my admiration for House Targaryen and how much I'm looking forward to seeing their history on TV. 
Looking forward to hearing your thoughts. Much love to everyone and stay safe. And if anyone gets too close while you're out and about, just yell, Dracaris. Dracaris. There we go. Christy McGee says, uh, Tay covers all his bases. Loves Tay Moore's uh, questions. Says casting. I, I, I'll say this. I, I'm, I'm not good with casting. I am not good. Anytime I'm on, on, on those internet debate shows or on a panel and... Um, Someone asks, who would you who would you want to be in Star Wars? My answer is like I, Charles Dance. I don't know, <laughs> but specific casting. I did think about this. I try to came, uh, try to come up with a good answer. Now, for I got to tell you, for Visenya and Rainey's, Rainey's a little more, you know, what a little more. Uh, dare we say violent? I don't know. Um, take the hair colors out of it. Get a good wig. Get a good makeup. We've seen Amelia Clark's transformation. Harry Lloyd uh, uh, Viserys. Uh, he, he was not a a blonde-haired gentleman. Um, you can switch that around. I'm not worried about direct look, but age range, all those kind of things, taking them into to consideration. Roughly what? I mean, Aegon, at least in the book, 27 years of age. Um, I can look that up here. Yeah, roughly born 27 BC. That's right, but, um Well, let's look. Let's 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 double check. Okay. So Visenya, a little older, 28. She was born about 28 or 29 B.C. Uh, then you got um, Rainey's. How old is Rainey's, roughly? Younger. She's the youngest of the bunch, 25 or 26. Okay. Okay. So I don't have... Mm, I cast... Well, you know, I cast it wrong. But I, I, I'm all support. I'm all, I'm all in my idea. I think in how, if... And this is the question. This is for... If House of the Dragon... Ends up being about Aegon the Conqueror at all, whether you see the conquest or not. I don't think if I'm putting money down, I don't. I think we're going a little farther along, Dance of Dragons. But let's just say that, hey, we got dragons, we got conquests, we got something that people are generally familiar with. That is kind of a sell, too, by the way, to just general public. Again, I, it's not what I think they're going to be doing, but... Let's just say at any point we get we have to cast these characters. I would want to do the Amelia Clark route of relative unknown. I think it's important for Vicenia and Rainey's um, going kind of unknown. We don't want to see someone we're overly familiar with. You know, we don't want Lady Gaga um, to show up. You know, be supportive of her being in Game of Thrones or House of the Dragon, but you know, not as the main character, right? But and I don't know if this is fair to Vicenia or Rainey's. I don't know if it is. But if it's Aegon, if you're casting Aegon the Conqueror to put in a big-time show starring, this is the lead, right? I do think you have a little weight to it. Not unlike Ned Stark being Sean Bean, everyone else relatively unknown, other than some of the character actors and everything, but the main cast, relatively unknown. Not a lot of people knew Amelia Clark and Kit Harrington before Game of Thrones, right? Sean Beams is there for the anchor. Uh, Lena Heaney there for the anchor. Uh, Dinklage, people know, but but I think Sean Bean was kind of on the poster, right? That's why a lot of us fell for the Ned Stark's the main character kind of trap. Um, so um, I thought about it. I think he's a little older than what we got in uh, the book age, but HBO has shown they don't have a problem aging some characters up to fit the needs of uh, their production. I might, and his name comes up so many times, particularly in Star Wars, and I'm never super excited about this character in Star Wars. 
this guy, this guy. And I think he's a great, great actor. But I would, I would, as Aegon Targaryen, follow me here, as Aegon the Conqueror, Michael Fassbender. He's got the gravitas that we like. He's got the, I think he's got the cheekbones. He's got the build. He's got a lot of TV Targaryen to him. Put him in the wig. You need to make his eyes purple or whatever you want to do. I don't care. But I think I could see him conquering Westeros. I, you know, I'm not great at this fantasy casting. But Tamor, that's my choice. Give me some good unknowns. Aegon the Conqueror. It's a name we've heard for a long time. A long time. Michael Fassbender might be my choice. Because I also, I also buy, I buy Fassbender. The thing about Aegon is after he conquered, things relatively peaceful. Things relatively smooth. He, you know, Magor kind of came along and messed things up. But once, once Aegon conquered, things were okay. Fassbender, I think, could bring me the conquering side and the peace side. Tamor says it's a great choice. Eric says it's a great choice. If I have their love, that's all I need. That's all I need in life. Thank you all. So, I don't know. Again, I don't know if that's the best choice. That might be my choice. Uh, you have, have a choice for who you want to see playing Aegon the Conqueror. Let me know. Let me know in the comments below. Or if you're listening on the audio podcast, which is still the uh, main home of Casterly Talk and the main purpose and drive of Casterly Talk, Reach out. Let me know here on Anchor. So, had fun discussion, discussing one of my favorite characters, Melisandre, today. Uh, discussing one of my favorite mysterious characters, Quaith. I don't have all the answers. I don't pretend to have all the Game of Thrones answers. I go out just like you as a fan, pull it all in, and discuss the emotions, our feelings around these characters, and where we want them to go, where we wanted them to go, and things we hope. We are going to start looking more towards Winds of Winter here on Game of Thrones, or Casterly Talk. Wait, what shows is this? This is Casterly Talk. It's been a long week already. I am broadcasting on a computer I'm generally familiar with. I want to thank you all. I thank you all in chat. Chat, and oh, what's this chat? Uh, Eddie Haskell says, Entertainment Weekly just tweeted nine years ago the first GOT episode debuted nine years. That's crazy. That's crazy. I remember where I was. Sarah Risley says, well, yeah, when an impromptu celebration, nine years. When we get to 10 years, we really go back. 2011 just seemed, wow, seems like so long ago. I remember where I was. I remember the, the bedspread. I remember the, the tiny little bed, my old apartment on the tiny little TV, and me tuning in going, all right, I guess I like Lord of the Rings. Uh, the Hobbit films aren't. I'm not quite there yet on them. I'm not a I'm not a D and D guy. I respect it. I played Dragon's Lair in the old arcade. Let's do it. Let's see some dragons. Let's see what's going on. Oh crap! Ice zombies. I'm scared and I'm pulled in. And then the history pulled me in. And I forgot about dragons. Forgot about ice zombies. The world pulled me in. So I don't know. Maybe that's what House of the Dragon needs to do as well. Well, Ed, thanks for that last minute anniversary reminder. Uh, if you have uh, any other thoughts, don't forget to call in here on Anchor. Leave a, uh, a nice uh, message. Yeah, about 59 seconds. So uh, go ahead and do that. And um, don't forget, you can follow me at Ken Napsock. Go to KenNapsock.com for information on all the things I do. 
you're a baseball fan, my podcast feed box score heroes will be on its way. It's up there. You can find it. Follow it on Twitter at box score heroes. Subscribe and get ready for episodes celebrating everything in baseball past, present, and yes, I do believe in the future. Thank you to Kristen McGee, Tamor, Eric Monroe, Sarah Risley, Eddie Hassel. Uh, Eddie uh, Haskell, uh, Ranger Donald, uh, Ben, uh, everyone else here. I'm going up and chatting. I don't want to miss anybody. Uh, if you were watching along, uh, we appreciate those watching Cassidy Talk live here on YouTube. But that is it for now. We'll see you all next week. Bye. <laughs>